Okay, um, sorry that we're running a little late. Ran into uh, some technical difficulties, but we're up and alive now. So, we're now starting chapter four in Tanya. The title of this lecture is um, Your Soul Needs Some Clothing. So, we studied in chapter one that there's two souls, the animalistic soul and the godly soul. We studied in the second chapter of Tanya that the godly soul is truly a piece of God and the way it uh, descends into this uh, world, the physical world. In chapter three, we studied that the soul itself is made up of 10, it has 10 faculties, the three intellects and the seven emotions. That's, I mean, in a nutshell, just for where we have to get there today, that is the first three chapters of Tanya. Chapter four, Tanya starts introducing that the soul has clothing, garments, livushim. So let's first start with why does a soul need to have garments? And the answer is because intellect and emotions in itself it's locked in yes there is the intellect yes there is the emotions but not only can't you express it to others you can't even express it to yourself the only way to express to yourself your intellect and your emotions is through thought so if you had no thought process, that would be like a hard drive without a processor. It's locked in there, but you can't use it. So therefore, the soul has to have garments, garments through which it expresses itself. Now, these garments are the action of thought, the action of speech and the action of actions. This is the way the soul can express what it has. We're also going to learn that this is also how the soul can grow. The intellect, how does it grow? The emotions, how does it grow? Through study, let's say. But what is study without the thought process? You have a brain, you have a book, but you don't have the capacity of thinking. What happens? So this, you know, I gave the example of a processor and a hardware, or we can talk about it as hardware and, and software, just programs. But however you want to deal with it, the bottom line is that the soul, which has 10 faculties, is, is just locked in a box. You have the greatest treasure in a safe and you don't have the key or the combination. So therefore you have to have garments. Garments is how we receive from our soul and how we input into our soul. Okay? And, and we're going to have to talk about this. There is the physical gray mass called the brain. There is the mind. The mind is, is kind of like the software to the mass, which is the hardware. And then you have thinking, 
which is the processor. Okay? So, and the same thing with speech. There's the hardware, which is that whole system of sending up air to bang through the voice box, to bang through five different types of the uh, mouth. It says that, uh, you know, for example, pays, pay, our lips, <laughs> is throat. These five, the, the, all the 22 Hebrew alphabets break into five categories. So those different areas, that's all hardware, hardware, hardware. Yeah. The power of speech. That's how the garment of, and so too with action. Just an example. Your soul has an attribute, an emotion called kindness. What is kindness without thought, speech, and action? Nothing. Okay? So we understand that the soul has garments. And we understand why the soul has to have garments. And we always talk about these three garments. So too, even when we talk about the 10th emanation, which is the seventh emotion, which is the feminine mystique of kingship, on its lower level, kingship is all about expression. So therefore, kingship already is very connected to the three garments. We're also going to learn, for example, in, in the, uh, fifth, the fifth Bhavachar Rebbe's teachings, he has a book called Ranat, and he has over there a Verita year, a rational test, I believe uh, 659. Um, over there, you're going to learn something very amazing. Contrary to what therapists believe, that one must express their anger, get it out. The fifth Lubavitcher actually has a teaching that says that the garments, remember I said there's also an input? Mm -hmm. The garment of speech is so deeply embedded within the human. Because when we talk about the human being, we refer to him as medaber, the speaker. Thus, he explains that talking about something actually enlarges the emotion. So the garments have a very big impact. It's not only the output, it's also the portal of the input. And it's the, por the portal of evolution and growth. Okay? Which, by the way, gives us an amazing insight into that famous saying, fake it until you make it. Now we understand that fake it until you make it is basically saying what your soul does not yet contain, or let's be more precise, to the level of development that your soul has not yet reached, fake it until you make it, because the three garments is how there's input and development within the soul. So if the fake it refers to the three garments, based on what the Tanya is going to teach us, and we'll talk about it more in the next lecture, about how the garments take the soul greater to when their soul can be itself. But now we are getting a little insight here. 
So these garments aren't just like, oh, whatever garments. And what happens if I belong to a nudist camp? My soul belongs to a nudist camp. It has no garments. Well, what then? Well, what then happens is that you've got a beautiful gem locked in a safe, which you don't have the capacity of opening. Not to have it go up in value and not to express or utilize the value it already has. So the three garments are an extremely, extremely important part. Without it, the soul is literally locked away from us. Okay? Let's take another example. Most people, when they talk about a conscious, they're talking about the soul's paradigm. When you hear a little voice tell you, oh, you don't want to do that. That's your soul's paradigm. The good conscious is your soul. But the only reason you experience the conscious is because it comes to you through your thought. In other words, when you don't have your conscious speaking to you, you still have your conscious. The soul is still there, but it has no input on you because the garments are not available to it. So every relationship we have with our soul, anything of value that we experience from our soul is through the garments, thought, speech, and action. So too, anything that the soul is meant to grow and develop into by its descent into this world, the soul comes down here because it too receives unprecedented growth through coming into the physical world. It too is blocked if not for thought, speech, and action. Okay? That's the first point I wanted to make for the introduction to this chapter. So we talk about the thought, the speech, and the action. Now let's talk about how this works. So we're talking about the godly soul. If we're talking about the godly soul, the thoughts, I'm sorry, the intellect, i.e. paradigm, and the emotions, i.e. sensitivities, is all about selfless divinity. Because it's the faculties of the godly soul. And that's what the godly soul is all about. Divinity, spirituality, i.e. selfless. Okay? Now, let's be more precise how it works. So, the intellects and the emotions can express themselves in the thought and in the speech. What would that be for the godly soul? What that would be is the study of Torah. Because the paradigm of the godly soul is absorbing, thinking, and developing the paradigm of the Torah. So when your mind is thinking words of Torah, you now have become the garment to the godly soul. So the godly soul has intellect. The intellect of the godly soul is the Sandi paradigms of Torah and God. Thus, when we're studying Torah, that is the communication, the experience, and the development, the output, and the input of the godly soul's intellect. That happens when we're thinking words of Torah, which then that thinking software manifests itself into the gray mass, the brain, right? So now what's happening is that your physical gray mass, all the electrons and neutrons that's firing off there, all the pathways that's being connected, it's all becoming the chariot of 
the godly soul. So there's the godly soul's intellect, i.e. Torah, and then there is the thinking, which is the garment through which we communicate output, input of the godly soul's intellects. And that thought process happens in the physical brain, physically firing off different neural connections, which then goes ahead and gives off different types of chemicals, which then goes ahead and feeds the cells of the body. Thus, how does my physical being become a chariot to host my godly soul? Let's be more precise. The intellects of my godly soul is through the thinking and the speaking of Torah. Now, let's talk about the emotions. The emotions, the seven emotions of the godly soul. So let's talk about, for a moment, let's talk about the godly soul as it is the emotions, right? Where does the emotions express itself? Where's the input and the output? So we did say that when you think about the love of God, but that's the thinking. It's still the intellectual part. Here's something interesting. Last, uh, last chapter, we discussed that there are seven different emotions. However, if you want to be more specific, the chest, right, from the neck down to the waist represents your emotions, which Kabbalistically is right, left, and center, which is the love, the awe, and the compassion right, left, and center. The next three, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, is what we call in Kabbalah and Hasidis, the stem, the pedestal, the feet. That's not the emotions itself. It's the way the emotions are starting to move into action. Thus, there is the part of that which is the right, netzach, victory, endurance. Then there is the left side, which is hod, humility, gratitude. And then there is the center, which is foundation, which is about commitment. So why am I sharing this with you? Because in truth, even though we talk about the six emotions, and then there's a the seventh feminine mystique, Malchut, we'll talk about that soon. But even though we express that there are six emotions, in truth, there's three emotions and they're offshoots. That's why there's only right, left, center. So not to use this word, uh, God forbid, in any uh, non-Jewish way, but really there's two trinities. There's the trinity of Chesed, Gvurat, Ferris. That's the feelings the way they are in me the beingness of the feelings within me, not driving me to do anything, motivating or inspiring me to do anything. They're just my feelings. And that is the love, the fear, and the compassion. And then there is those same three expressed in the lower trinity, which would then be the endurance, which is love in action, to overcome, to do. Then there is the hod, which is the gratitude, the humility, which now that is talking about the 
fear in moving into action. And then there is compassion, which expresses itself into action through commitment. Okay? So now we need to only talk about where is the garment of the emotions as in the three, and then we know that that is their offshoots too. Love and fear, primary, because compassion isn't the true emotion of its own. It's a compilation of love and fear. Okay? So with that being said, when we talk about this concept of garments to emotions, the Alter Rebbe is going to say, once again, just like the intellect of the godly soul is Torah, so too the garments of the emotions of the soul has to be mitzvot. The godly soul is not here experiencing anything else but as it was in heaven, because it is divinity. It is a piece of God. Thus, the emotions have to be all about the mitzvot. How does that work? So we say that the 248 thou shall, what motivates a person, generally speaking, into a thou shall? And the answer is, it is motivated specifically by love. Now, here is an interesting, and we'll, well, let me say the next thing and then we'll talk further, okay? So, too, what is the only motivator of thou shall not? Primarily, I said only primarily, that's a contradiction, but yes, primarily it's going to be fear. Or the fear can be either fear of retribution, or the fear can be fear which is more awe in the face of infinite greatness. When you're standing at, um, uh, in Arizona, when you're standing at the um, Grand Canyon, yeah. what you're experiencing is a sense of fear, but on a higher level, awe, feeling so minute, okay? One of those two fears is going to manifest itself in every time I want to do something, but I'm not doing it because it contradicts one of the 365 prohibitions of God. Okay? With that being said, let's go further. So now I know that the garment of action is the garment of the emotions of the godly soul because the emotions of the godly soul is all about only the mitzvot. That's what we're talking about. Okay? Let's talk about this for a moment. And I'm going to share with you an interesting story that happened. So, I went with my family to Orlando. And someone connected me with um, timesharing. They told me, go to timesharing. And I did. I called them up, made sure it's all legit and legal. And you know, yeah, all they want from you is 45 minutes. If you give them 45 minutes, they will give you two days, one night at the time, way back, plus plus a hundred dollars towards your theme park tickets. Okay. Once I found out it's okay, and that's really what it's all about, I did. We got ourselves a beautiful two-floor townhouse yeah. apartment 
went with our kids. We had a blast. Time for 45 minutes. Okay. I go there. I'm sitting in a room. And there's every single table has a salesperson and the family that, you know, did what I did. This lady comes over to me. Hi, your name is so-and-so. Yeah. And I said to her, let me, let's be very honest. Don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. Because if you did convince me to do it, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> Come collect. It's not what I can do presently. It was, it was way back in the day, and uh, it was a difficult time for me, to say the least. So I told her, so she said, so she said, okay, so what do you want from me? I said, maybe you can help me. Every single person walked into this room just like I did. We're here to take advantage of you. We're not buying no time sharing. We just like to have a free hotel. And glory, oh glory, you're even giving $100. How is your company surviving? So she tells me, look us up on the stock market. Yeah, people come in here like that. And that's our job. And we're doing a good job. And she said, the reason why I'm not bothering you is because I already overdid my quota. And she said, let's just talk. I said, okay. I said, now that I understand that, that's how good you are, now I really need your help. Can you teach me salesmanship? And she looks at me and she says, teach you salesmanship? You're a rabbi. I said, rabbis have to be the best salesman. Do you have any idea what it is to get a Jew to come into shul? <laughs> so she laughed. She's actually a southerner. And she tells me, so let me tell you what it's all about. And I remember the acronym she told me, but I don't remember all the, the words for it. She told me salesmanship is about, and I think she used the word tough, T-U-F-F. -F. I said, go ahead. She tells me, T is trust. If I cannot get you to earn my trust, I'll never sell you anything. The you is understanding. She said, I need to understand your needs because if I don't understand your needs, I can't sell you anything. And then she went and she told me, now you understand why I'm not trying to sell you a timesharing. I said, why? She said, because I don't sell timesharing. I sell family time. And you Jews, she tells me, you Jews are the worst of all because you never take off work and go with your family to vacation. However, I know good and well that if I get a Jew to spend money for two weeks in timesharing, they're going to use it. And then she tells me, which was a very nice compliment to me, she said, I see how your kids are sitting on your lap. You don't need what I sell. Then she told me, F. I don't remember what the first F is. This has been over two decades, no, close to two decades ago. The last F is why I'm bringing this into our share. I don't know. No, this is all salesmanship. I don't know. It's all, yeah. I, I, I'll try to remember. I'll get back to you, but I really. The last F is why, what I want to share with you. When she said it, she first looked down and she looked up and she said, fear. If I don't 
induce within you fear, fear I will never sell a thing. F-E-A-R? Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, explain, please. And she said, there has not been a sale made in the history of mankind that wasn't driven by an emotion. She said, if I don't get you to be emotionally attached to what I've intellectually explained to you, there will never be a, a sale. When I heard that, ever since I've watched salesmen's people, have you ever noticed that real estate agents ask you such crazy questions? Oh, so if this would be your house, what would uh -huh. you put here? What color would you have this room? And then they come in for the killer. If you don't make an offer now, I just want you to know there's two offers waiting. What are they doing? Now let's go back to what the chapter in Tanya said. All thou shells are driven by love. If they're not driven by love, they will not be done at least correctly. If God tells me that I need to do this, if it's not driven by a love to be one with God and to know that the only way I can be one with God is by doing his mitzvot, which at that time the word mitzvah means connection, then I'm not going to do it. And even if there's just fear of God in me, I'm going to do it. Okay, I did it. Can't, don't say I didn't do it. I did it. But if I'm going to truly do a mitzvah, it has absolutely got to be driven with what? Love. If I'm not to do something that I truly, desperately feel that I need to do, what's going to stop me? What's going to stop me? Fear. True fear. Do you know what the biggest fear a human should have? It's not of what God's going to do to me. The disconnection. I know that if I'm disconnected from God, first of all, for addicts, you're dead. You disconnect from your higher power, you're dead. And for non-addicts, life taken into your own hands is as small as you and as empty as you. So the fear of disconnection, I shared with you once the story, Dr. Weiss, who was the Rebbe's doctor um, since 1978 when the Rebbe had a heart attack. So before the high holidays, he was talking to the Rebbetzin. And I don't know what the procedure was, but he happened to ask the Rebbetzin, is your husband, the Rebbe, afraid of pain? And she said, he's not afraid of pain, but he is very afraid of the upcoming holidays. There's a reason why high holidays are called days of awe. That's the concept of the godly soul's emotions. Fear of pain is the animalistic soul. Thus, you understand fear of retribution is not the feeling of the godly soul. So what is the fear of the godly soul? One or two things. 
either the fear, which we would call total bashfulness and, and, and that, that feeling of awe when you stand at the, at the edge of, of, of the Grand Canyon, or worse than that, the fear of disconnection. I say worse than that means that, that that's already part of retribution, but that's the fear of retribution. So now we understand that the Alter Rebbe is telling us that the godly soul in itself, in itself, of its organs, its limbs, of its ten faculties, doesn't have doing mitzvot. On that level, it's about love and fear. And the garments of love and fear is all about mitzvot. I'm sorry. The garments of actions of mitzvot, thou shalt do, thou shalt not do, is all about the feelings of the godly soul, which is primarily love and fear. So far, so good. Okay. I wanted to share with you one more point. And then we'll, we'll even finish early today. Because these are the three points I prepared for today. One more point. Do you know the difference between faculties and garments? So let's look at it as the simplest concept. To lose weight is very hard. To do laundry is very easy. To go ahead and change your paradigm is very hard. To go ahead and change your emotions, the way you feel about things, is very hard. To change the way you think is not as hard. It's very simple. I'm going to again refer to addiction recovery. One of the things they teach in addiction recovery is resentment is the number one offender of relapse. But resentment is a feeling. What do you mean? How do you change a feeling? So, if you turn to page 552 in the book, it tells you how to do it. It tells you, and in, in certain meetings, they actually have a special chip. You pick up a black chip, what they call, and you use that chip, and uh, you, 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 uh, you pray for two weeks, it says there. What do you have to pray? I pray for my enemy who hurt me, who I want to bite his head off, I pray that he should have everything that I want for myself. Now, can you imagine how you recite that first time prayer on number one? You're not saying the words, you're spewing the words. You have a joke. <laughs> the one thing you can't pray for the person you have a resentment is, I pray that he gets what he deserves. <laughs> That's not a prayer. By the time the two weeks are over, if you've truly followed the path, you're feeling changed. Are you familiar? I believe the name of the prayer is Manunu. 
the Manunu prayer. It's an amazing prayer. I can tell you that I've been using it. Someone you're upset at. I'm going to just pick a name. Okay? Yaakov. The prayer begins and ends like this. Yaakov, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I love you. That's the entire prayer. Eventually, you learn that you can love without liking. And I know that may sound weird, but you, you, it's, it, you learn how to do that. But the process here is that losing weight is very difficult. If I try to change my feelings, that's not easy. But if I wash my garments, eventually it will change the way I feel. By the way, this happens to be true even in the parable that I'm using. The, the prayer is you say the name of the person, please forgive me, I'm sorry, I love you. And what's the page you're saying? Uh, the page in the big book of AA is 552, I believe. Yeah. Now, here's what I want to share with you, which is very important. Even in the practicality of losing weight, it happens to be a fact. I mean, if you know, that's the way the New York train system changed. It's called the broken window. The broken window means that if you want crime to stop in the alley, make sure there's no broken windows. Because the environment allows you to do what you're doing. So Giuliani, back in the day, he did that with New York. There were literally people being raped and killed and pushed onto the train tracks. He did not have the cops downstairs. He only had the cops upstairs that no one can jump the turnstile. Step number one. Step number two. No train left the station with graffiti. You see, what happens is that when you wash your clothes and you dress like a mensch, eventually you want to lose weight. If I'm going to pray for my, this enemy of mine, you know, may he win the lottery as he gets run over by a truck. You know, that's what my feelings are saying. But if I don't do that and I really pray for the person, the garments affects the body. It works that way in everything. We were talking before about the fake it until you make it. Fake it is the garments. Make it is your faculties. So they tell the famous story in, um, I, I don't know if this is in Napoleon Hill's book, uh, Think and Grow Rich, or if it's Dale Carnegie's book. He talks about how the person who was the elevator boy, you know, back in the good old days when you oh, used to I have the thing. So, <laughs> I remember the old days. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually remember those elevators. Oops. <laughs> anyway, so he talks about how that elevator boy dressed in a suit and a tie. He goes on to tell the story how that elevator boy eventually became a CEO. I want to share with you another thing. Most people only know the one lowest level of tzniyut, modesty. What is that? A woman's body is a tumbling stone to the male, 
And thus the verse says, you may not put a tumbling stone in front of a blind man, and therefore a woman has to be tznius. That's what most people know. Even in the Catholic schools, all they were worried about is be careful you don't polish your shoes because the reflection the boys might see. Okay? That is the lowest level and doesn't explain two very important things. Why aren't you allowed to walk around naked in your house? Why when you go to the bathroom does the Torah tell you that literally the Jewish law tells you that you're not allowed to just, boom, boom, I have to go to the bathroom. It actually says the words. You uncover one, one foot as in a me measurement and you keep covered two feet. I'm alone in the bathroom. What's the problem? Because there's a different issue. Issue is that you need to stand before God modestly. Therefore, according to Jewish law, even when you're alone in your room, you have to dress under the covers. But I want to take you to another level. The other level is exactly what we're talking about now. Garments express who you are. If a woman is to be Bat Melech, the daughter of the king, then the way she's dressing expresses who she is. Now here's what I want to talk about today. It's not the what it expresses to the people looking at her. It expresses to herself. When you're wearing a certain type of clothing, you're feeling a certain type of way. You're thinking a certain type of way. In a certain type of way. So it needs to become clear that the power of the garments is not just about what I'm saying to others about myself. It's what I'm saying to myself about myself. So I was brought into a religious girls' high school to talk to the students about the things that's not printed in the exact lines that the teachers talk to them. And the entire purpose was that the students should be able to ask questions that they don't want to ask their staff. The first time I walked in there, I sit down and the teacher is sitting over there and I said, girls, do you feel comfortable asking me questions in front of your teacher? And they all like, I said, teacher, if I'm here for a purpose, you're going to need to leave. And ever since then, she always tells me, yeah, I'm the teacher. You kicked out of the room. But I had a conversation with them about modesty. And I told them, I understand you girls want to be classy. You don't want to do your shopping off the mannequins in Borough Park. You want to see what Paris has to offer. And I said to her, and I, I said to the girls, I kind of gave away my age then because I didn't realize that these are old icons. I said, there are two women, I'm going to mention to you their names, and they both take their style from Paris. One is called Madonna, and one is called Princess Di. You have a choice to make. The point I was trying to make to them is, don't tell me that because you want to be fashionable, you have to become risque. Because... It's not just what you're telling the other people. Forget that. Let's say that you lived in a safe environment. That what you're telling other people makes no difference. You still have the control to say yes or no. What are you telling yourself? Thus, the way to change, lose weight of, of the souls, you know, the emotions, change the emotions 
change the paradigm is through the garments. I want to wrap this up in just one more metaphor that I, I once shared with someone. This metaphor, so I'm, I, I just, it's my own, so I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, God-given. But I want you to look at it as follows. The emotions in themselves is a seething hot pot. The thought, speech, and actions is the handle. You can't grab the pot. You can't directly deal with your emotions. But you could directly deal with your garments. And through your garments, you will have control over the pot. So on a certain level, chapter 3 is abstract to us without chapter 4. Tell me what my soul has in it, whoop-de-doo. Tell me how to connect with it, how to utilize it. How the soul can give me my physical mindset and paradigm and analytic soul what it has to offer. And how can I give it in return the elevation that it's come down here for? Thank you, people. Thank you.